want to welcome those of you who are here in person or if you're following us on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, uh, or even here, you know, just uh, so glad that you are here. So Psalm 27 is where we are. And I want to ask you a question as we get started. How do you handle the unknown? How do you handle the unknown? Like when something's happen, happening in your life and you just don't know what's like uncertainty, how do you handle uncertainty? It's a simple question, right? But I really believe that the answer to this question, if you know the answer to this simple question and you're able to execute on that answer, it can powerfully impact your life. And so, like, during times of uncertainty, I know that there's a lot of things that you can do. And I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but you can do a, a few things. You can overeat when you're stressed out. I wonder how many, again, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many, you know, people overeat when you're stressed out, when you don't know the future. And I'm raising my hand because that's, that's usually my go-to thing. You know, you can overeat. It's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, at times, you can over stress out or over medicate uh, and there's a lot of things that you can run to for that to just like numb the pain right like alcohol you can run to alcohol when um, when you're stressed out when life is is hectic you can um, you can run to pills and other substance abuse you can overstress overreact right take it out on the people that you love sometimes I've done that before and um, and so I, um, I handle the times when I'm uh, dealing with uncertainty, I can handle the stress the wrong way. So the question we're asking is, is, how do you live in the unknown? How do you live in the unknown? Like when the finances are not good, when your investment goes south, when you lose your job, when your spouse leaves you and you have to go through a divorce, when uh, when you lose a loved one, when you um, when he or she is not healthy, when there are changes in the economy, when uh, when you have major problems at work, when the interview does not pan out, when the kids are more than you can handle, how do you handle uncertainty? How do you handle that stress? I want you um, as we look at Psalm 27. I want you to filter the message through the greatest unknown that you have in your life right now like what is the one thing that you wish like god if i could if you could just answer my request i just want to know what's just right around the corner because the truth is that i'm a little bit scared and i just don't know what's coming my way have you ever have you ever met anybody that can handle stress really well have you ever met someone that like they just seem to like there are people you know in ministry that that i've met that, that, I mean, they just have this unusual ability, just unusual faith. They're dealing with cancer, and it's like they're trying to minister to me. And I'm like, how do they do that? You know, have you ever met someone who somehow just, they just have greater faith. They have the ability to risk more. And then you see them, how they just, they just move through all of these challenges. And you're like, you just wonder, how do you, how is it possible that you don't worry with everything that you have on your plate. And so Psalm 27, basically, it's a psalm that was written by, by David, and it tells us how to handle uncertainty. It's a declaration of faith. Think of the declaration of independence. It's a, it is a megaphone, okay? That's what Psalm 27 is. It's a megaphone telling us how to handle 
or um, yeah, how to handle the right way, how to face uncertainty the right way. So King David is un- amplifying a truth, a promise that we all need. That's It's like oxygen for our souls. Okay, so let's get into it. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, and so we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Now, pay attention to a couple of words. Pay attention to the word fear and the word afraid, and there's a reason why I'm asking you to why I'm pointing that out to you. Okay, so verse 1 says this. David says, The Lord is my light and my my salvation. Whom shall I... Could you say that last word? Whom shall I what? Fear. Verse 2. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So he's asking this question, right, of you and me. And he's, he's pointing out fear. He's pointing out this word, you know, who, of whom shall I be afraid, he says. Verse 3, he says, When the wicked advance against me to devour me. And by the way, the picture that David has, now you've got to go back several hundred years ago, a couple more than hundreds of years, thousands of years back, in the way they lived in that day and age. But when he's writing this verse, he's thinking of, a, think, he's thinking of a, an animal basically tearing apart the flesh of its prey thinking of a, a lion when it's going after its prey and it's and it's tearing apart the flesh of its prey and in fact some translations use the word flesh in this verse when the wicked advanced against me to devour me okay so it's a picture that a lion tearing apart the flesh of its prey he says it is my enemy and my foes who will stumble and fall it says, though an army beseech me, my heart will not, and he says it again, my heart will not, say it, church, my heart will not fear. Very good. The war break out against me. Even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Would you pray with me as we get started? Father God, thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that we would just receive your word. God, help us to pay attention God, we pray that it would marinate in our hearts. God, use the power of your word to speak life to our soul. We need you this morning, God. We need this message. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So when you study God's word, one of the things that you learn is that God has a very particular way to communicate. Like when God wants to get a message across, okay, like if you're, if you're a mom or if you're a dad, sometimes there are moments that you want to communicate a message across to your kids. Has that ever happened? You're with, with, uh, with a group of people and your child is not behaving and you can just look at them across the room and they know if they don't behave, they just know I am dead. You know, and they just, just with a look, you know, they just, you just can, can, can communicate, right? In the same way, God can communicate with us. And sometimes for us as parents, you know, sometimes it takes raising our voices a little bit. Sometimes it takes doing some things that, you know, we're not really proud of to get the message across. Now, what I want you to know as we study Psalm 27 is that 
not only God, not only does God have a way to communicate with us, but also the enemy has a way to amplify his message toward to, to us. And the mess the, the thing that he uses to amplify, just like I said, Psalm 27 is a megaphone. In the same way, the enemy has a megaphone. And it's this. And it's it's hard when you read the passage, it's not something that's that's easily recognized at first glance. But when you study it and when you slow down a little bit, you'll see it, and I'll, I'll point it out here in a minute. The, the, the megaphone that the enemy uses is fear. You know that? The one thing that he uses to, it's, it's his mic, is the thing that he uses to, to make a big deal out of your life, to attack you, it's fear. And so I wrote four things down. He uses the fear of losing your freedom, losing the power of control. So when you're facing the unknown, that's immediately what he's doing. He's increasing the fear, the, those feelings of, the, the, of fear of being afraid, and then like you're not going to have the ability to control your future, to control your life. I heard a quote that actually reminded me of this, and it's, it goes like this. It's a pretty, pretty deep thought, and I'm going to kind of slow down so you kind of we all get it. Power, listen to this, power does not corrupt. Fear corrupts listen to it perhaps the fear of the loss of power power does not corrupt fear corrupts perhaps the fear of the loss of power and so the enemy uses fear he uses the fear of losing your freedom he uses the the fear of disappointment the fear of rejection like nobody wants to be the last one picked Right? Remember when you were a kid and they were picking teams and you're like, oh, you know, I want to be on their team. I want to be on their team. Like you don't want to be the last one picked, right? And that's a, that's a fear that the enemy will use in, in your life, the fear of rejection, the fear of disappointment, where, whether it's a, you're in a dating relationship, you don't want to be the one rejected. You're, you, you go to an interview, you don't want them to say no to you. You're in, in any, any area of life, the fear of disappointment, the fear of rejection is a huge deal. The enemy knows this. And so he'll, he'll say to you, he'll put certain thoughts in your mind, oh, they don't care about you. They don't, you know, they don't like you. They, you know, they're talking behind your back, and then, you know, they're just gossiping about you. They don't, if they cared about you, they would never do that. And that's kind of what he's doing. He's just planting seeds of fear. Here's, a, here's another one. I'll give you a couple more. Fear of uh, poverty. Fear of poverty. Um, this is a fear that says, you know, I'm not going to have enough to cover my basic needs in life. I'm not going to have enough to be satisfied. And it's, a, it's the fear of feeling like I don't have enough. And it's just like you worry and you have anxiety. And, and if you look back, you're like, it's like God's always provided for you. You've always been able to eat. You've always had a roof over your head. But there's that fear that it's constant, that doesn't change. That regardless of what's happening, it's just like it's right there. And it's what brings you anxiety. And then there's others, right? Um, fear of loneliness. Uh, it's a fear, fear of, of fear, uh, being ridiculed in front of a group of people. If your kids are not behaving, this is a fear that you deal with. You know, oh, what will they say? What will they think? The fear of death, the fear of failure, that like I'm not enough. And so that's how the enemy amplifies his message in order to attack you. And this is why David, if you go back and you study the psalm, that's why he says, whom shall I 
fear of whom shall I be afraid? You know, though an army beseech me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. Now, you did not come here to hear me say what it is that you struggle with, right? Like, you know that. Like, you could have said, I could have told you that, Pastor Alex. Like, I know, like, fear is one of those things that I, that I deal with. And, like, you didn't come here for me to tell you how the enemy amplifies his attack on you. What you want to know, if I was you, like, what I would want to know is, like, how do I fight that? How do I, how do I deal with the unknown? I got a business going, and I'm working really hard, but it's, it's fragile, and I don't know what will happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to get another deal. I just got one. Praise God. It went through. Yes, but I'm not really sure what's going to happen tomorrow. Pastor Alex, would you please share with me how do I fight the enemy? How do I face the unknown? How do I overcome my fears? Can I tell you something? Just be super vulnerable with you. I can come here on a Sunday morning and preach the best message at the 930 service. And I'm just like, things are just clicking, and you know when things are clicking, you know, and you're you're just going to town, and you can, you know, you're connecting with the crowd, and everybody's in tune, and like everybody's on the edge of their seat. And I can be done with that message and be like, thank you, Lord, made it through another one. Woohoo! Yes, you know. But 11 o'clock service hits, and guess what I'm dealing with? The same fear. Oh, I'm gonna, am I going to get through this one now? And so fear is something that all of us deal with on a, on a regular basis. And so in order for us to understand Psalm 27, what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of context, okay? So you understand how this was written. So David... Um, he was not he was not the king when he wrote this psalm because if you're a king and you're on the throne I mean that's easy to say the words that he said right like man you're you're in control you're the boss you can move things and you can move people and you you know your word is is their command I mean and, and whatever you do whatever you say goes right it's easy to look at it from this perspective but what I want to do for the next few minutes and I'll be brief I promise is I want to give you context to what I want to give context to what David was feeling, the uncertainty, the unknown that he was facing in life when he wrote this psalm. Now, you know, some of you may know the story. David, when he was 15, and some people say that it may have been, he may have been 14 or maybe 17. God came to him, and um, God says, David, you're... You're going to be the king of Israel. So he's, he's just a little boy, right? He's just a teenager, and God anoints him. He says, you're going to become the king of Israel. But that, that fact did not become true for another 17 years, okay? Now, put yourself in his shoes, right? Like, David, you are, I'm promising you, the world. You are going to become the man. But that promise does not come true until well into his 30s, okay? And actually, for a season, those 15, 16, 17 years, David faced tremendous uncertainty. The Bible says that at times he did not have food to eat. 
He went hungry. The Bible says that sometimes he was alone. He was facing persecution because the other king was coming after him. At times he waged war without a weapon. On, on more than one occasion, like his life was just hanging by a thread. And so I was trying to search the scripture and trying to figure out, okay, I don't want to give you too many verses where I'm going to lose you, but I want to give you just the right amount so that you can, you can understand what he was going through when he wrote this song. And so if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel 20, uh, 21, okay? So 1 Samuel 21, the whole chapter gives you a little glimpse of the uncertainty that David was dealing with, okay? So you see that he, he's not writing this, from, you know, when, like he's, when life is good. And so I'm going to kind of skip around, but just I can't think of a better chapter in the Bible to show you just a glimpse of the uncertainty that David was enduring. So look in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech, the priest. Now, you may be asking, like, why is David going to the priest? You know? I, well, it tells us here in a minute. Ahimelech, the priest, trembled when he saw him. Now, David was not a bad guy. He was a good guy. Why would the priest be trembling? Why, why is he choking up? You know, like, why is he afraid of seeing David? What's, what's going on? Well, let's keep reading. Ahimelech trembled when he saw David, it says. And he asked him, he said, why are you alone? He asked him, why is no one with you? Let me give you a little, little clue here. The priest knew how he knew the threat that David was facing. And so he sees that David has plenty of enemies, and David, in this season of his life, he was on the run. He was The king had sent people after him. He's running away. And so David comes to the priest, and he's thinking, the king is after you, and he's, he has sent his cronies after you. You're alone. If they come and they get us, my life depends on it. Like, it's it's if they see me with you, like, we're all in trouble. We're dead meat to the king, right? And so he sees David coming. He's a, he, the Bible says he's trembling, and he says, why are you alone? He understands the threat that David had. He was running for his life. Uh, he needed security. That's why he asked him. He said, why, why is no one with you? You shouldn't be running around by yourself, basically, is what the priest is saying. Now look in verse 3 how desperate David was. He didn't even have food. He basically asked them for, for food. Is there anything to eat? He says, give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have here. He says, give me anything that you have. I'll take whatever, whatever you have as far as food. That's, that's how hungry David was. It's a bad day. It's a bad day when the future king of Israel is begging for bread. Doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't compute. God had promised him that he would, he would be the king and that you have the future king of Israel coming to the priest of all people asking for bread the priest is like i don't have any the only bread that we have is in the temple which you're not really supposed to use the bread in the temple to feed people at other purpose but but david is hungry he's so hungry that the priest takes the bread and he says here come you can have this to eat so david has no food no weapon he's fighting a wicked king running for his life he's actually in enemy territory Look in verse 10. Verse 10, David escaped from Saul. Saul was the king of Israel. Went to the king of Achish, of Gath. This is, this is an enemy king that was nearby. And so there were rumors that David was around. 
okay? And so, like, David's thinking, man, I got to figure out a way to uh, disguise myself to make sure that they don't know because they didn't, they didn't like him. And so he's, he's, he's finding out that they know that it's him. Look in verse 12 and 13 real quick. David heard these comments, and he was very afraid of what the king, the king of Achish of Gath, might do to him. Watch this, watch this. Don't miss it. Verse 13. So he pretended to be insane. So he's, he's around these other king. Word gets around. The, oh, you know, we think David is around. The other king, King Saul, is coming after him. And it says that he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard because he does not want to be found out. Now, the question we're asking today is how do you face uncertainty? How did David face uncertainty? How did he fight the unknown? Well, number one, and I hope this helps you, is he did not always do it the right way. And hopefully that kind of releases a little bit of pressure for those of you who are going through something and, and you haven't handled the stress and the unknown the right way, and you've kind of gotten mad at God and you've kind of gotten upset. And I'm, let me just tell you that the man after God's own heart did not handle uncertainty well 100% of the time. And so hopefully that releases the pressure. So number one, he didn't always handle, you know, he's, he's acting like a madman. You know, he's scratching on doors, you know, so that they don't discover him. He's not trusting that God's going to take care of him. But the second thing that I want to really look into is that when he did handle the unknown the right way, it was because he was grounding himself to three words it's kind of like um yeah i was in florida this last week and there was a hurricane coming i don't know if you saw it on the news hurricane nicole and um i was with my parents and you know i lived in florida for many years and when a hurricane comes basically you want to put anything that you have outside you want to bring it in okay so if you have plants, if you have chairs or whatever, you want to bring it inside because those things, they can, they can become a, a bullet. You know, you have 75, 70, 88, 85, and that's a Category 1, right? Like if it's a Category 4, it's even more. But anything that you have outside, you want to bring it inside. My, my parents have a little play set for the girls, for the, the, the grandkids. And I said, hey, do you want to bring this in? Because this thing can go through any window, any glass, and, and it can become a... Um, you know, a, a dangerous object, you know, flying 80, 85 miles an hour. And they say, no, 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 we have, you know, we, it's staked to the ground. And so these words that I'm going to, the three words that I'm going to share with you, if you use them to, to ground yourself, it is the only way that you will be able to face the unknown in your life. And now take it for, from, from David, from experience. And so in verse 27, or in chapter 27, Psalm 27, he uses three words to ground himself. First word is the word light. The second word is the word salvation. And then the third word, and I'll explain it to you, is the word stronghold. Three words that you and I need in our lives to not just survive, but to thrive when the challenges of life come our way. So if you look at it, in verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light. Verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light. And I love that he makes it personal. He says, The Lord is my salvation. 
the Lord is my stronghold. He's making it like he is my stronghold. Now, you, you say, okay, what, what is light? What does light do for you? So I looked it up. Exposure to natural light does a couple of things. It helps our bodies produce vitamin D. Uh, exposure to natural light improves our circadian rhythms and sleep patterns. So I didn't know this, but did you know that exposure to natural light actually helps you sleep? I had no idea, you know, because I don't like light when I'm going to sleep. I always put my arm over my, my eyes. But actually, it actually helps you sleep. Um, exposure to natural light helps us to focus, right? If, you don't, if we turn off the lights, you can't see. You can't focus on anything. It, um, it gives us more energy, helps us get stronger. Actually, it makes us even happier. And so spiritually is the same way. Exposure to spiritual light changes us. It makes us better people. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about this. There's, you can just do a search on just light in the scripture and you'll you'll see hundreds of verses let me give you a couple so in um revelation 21 23 at the end the end times got the bible says that he's going to create a new heaven a new earth a new city jerusalem and it actually says this it says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives it light and the lamb it's its lamp and so in, in james here's another verse james 1 17 it says Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. So here's what light does. Here's what light does. Light, the light of God, has the potential to change your environment. Light does that. Light changes it's environment. That's what light, like if I asked the, the media team, hey, I want you to grab all of these lights and I want you to turn them, you know, red, like bright red. And if they put, if they, they and then they're not going to do it, but if they, if they put red lights on me, guess what? I'm going to look like I'm either embarrassed or I'm going to look like I am upset. If I say, okay, no, 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 I don't want you to do red. Let's change it. I want you to do green. What would happen if I asked the media team to turn all of the, the lights on me and then the, just put green lights on me? What would they ma make me look like? It may make me look like I'm about to throw up, right? Like I'm sick, right? When you go into a dark room and you turn, you know, you hit the, the, the light switch, right? What happens? Light changes its environment. And so sometimes we just take it for granted, but the light of God, the Bible says, and you can study this, it actually changes your perspective. You're dealing with the unknown. The light of God can give you a new perspective. It can give you strength. Just like natural exposure, exposure to natural life, uh, light changes you in the same way, the light of God can actually change you, and it can make you a better person. It can make you a stronger person. He says, the Lord is my light. Number two, he says, the Lord is my light salvation that word salvation is a simple word it just sim me simply means uh, in the hebrew deliverance deliverance okay like when when you when somebody helps you get out of trouble like you're in debt and somebody helps you pay that debt that's kind of what the word salvation means the lord is my salvation he's my deliverer he's the one that gets me out of trouble let me ask you just just to play a little bit like, how many of you were troublemakers when you were young? Like, maybe you're in elementary or middle school. You're a troublemaker. Would you be honest? Would you be brave enough? Raise your hand. You guys are shy, man. First service, it was like, all hands went up. 
Come on, come on, come on, come on. Tell me, tell me. I want to see. I want to see my troublemakers. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Come on, keep them up. Okay, you guys look around. See Troublemakers in our church. <laughs> troublemakers, right? So while I was in Florida, um, I drove from Orlando to St. Pete to this um, ordination. And um, I was really close. So they got two hurricanes, like, back-to-back pretty much. In September, they got one. And then this one was coming, and I was like, man, I was there this last week. I didn't know if I, if I was going to make it. I canceled my flight, and I had to reschedule. But it, um, I came across a video, and I want to use this to kind of help you understand what this word salvation means. Can we play it real quick? I want you to pay attention to this, at what, especially what the Coast Guard will do. Watch this. This was the first one. Ian, I think it was the name of, of the hurricane. So Coast Guard going after people who did not leave, so they're rescuing some some folks. Look at all the water. Can you imagine being in one of those little things? Going up. Woo! Man. That would be rough. Look at the water. Isn't that incredible? We gotta save the cats. <laughs> We're gonna get. There's a whole bunch of people, just like y'all, thousands of them. Take, take you to a shelter. We'll be all right. You'll have food, water, and everything. I enjoyed it a little bit too much. <laughs> it's like free ride. <laughs> and here's why I showed you this. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Semper Paredes. Always, do you read it? Always what? Always what? Always ready. You know the Bible says that our Savior is always ready to deliver you, to rescue you in the midst of the unknown. When you say those words, the Lord is my salvation. Essentially what you're doing is you're declaring that your God is bigger, that your God is not blind to what's coming next. When David Again, not a king, not on his throne, not, not like when the life was easy, 
But when he was hungry, when he was begging the priest for bread, when he didn't even have a weapon and he, the, the enemy was coming, when he was running for his life, what did he declare? Now, he didn't always get it right. I get it. I get it. But the times when he, when he just grounded himself to the Lord and he said, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. What he was declaring is that you're greater than I am. You know better. You can get me out of trouble. You can get me out of this mess that I've gotten myself into. And this is what God's word says. Uh, Psalm 37 verse 39. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. Say it, church. The salvation of the righteous comes from Say it with, with passion. Say it like you mean it. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. Now, I know what we do. At times, we look to certain things in life or certain people to be our saving grace. At times, we, we look at at, at a job. Man, if I could get that job, that'll be my saving grace. If I could get a salary increase, that's what I need. If I could get that thing, if I could get that medical procedure, if I can get in with that doctor, if I can get in with that, if I can get in, you know, with that, if I can get that appointment set, that's what I need. The Bible says the only one that can get you out of trouble, the only one that comes and rescues you, like those Coast Guards, the only one that's 100% reliable and ready to help you is the Lord. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That word right there is the same word, delivered. So David intuitively recognizes this and says, Lord, you're my light, you're my salvation. And last he says, you're my stronghold. What does that mean, stronghold? That just means place of safety like when we had the 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 tornado watch a few weeks ago can't even remember how long it was did you get it did you get it on your phone like you know like it's like oh my goodness i better do something <laughs> we're watching tv you know natalie's friends are texting her we're all we're all you know in our secret hiding place where are you and she was like eating in the kitchen <laughs> Like we're just hanging out, <laughs> and then uh, and then it's like, well, we probably should be a little bit more responsible, and so we went to the laundry room. Right? Our kids, I think Andrew and Katie may have been working. They they had a place at work, but when you when the warning goes off, what do you do? You you go into maybe an inside safest room in the house, right? Away from windows, whatnot. That's what the word stronghold means place of safety. David was a pretty skilled warrior. He was a strong guy. He was a pretty smart guy. Remember, this is the David that fought the giant. Remember Goliath? This is the guy that fought the bear and the lion. David is the one that went against the bad king. It's the same David. And David practiced something that Paul preached to the church at Ephesus hundreds of years later. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul preached this, and David practiced it even before 
It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And David, as strong as he was, as 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 smart as he was, and even though he God had delivered him from so many things, he did not rely on his own strength. He did not rely on his own intellect. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to hang on to the Lord. And he says, says, Lord, you are my light. You are my salvation. You are my stronghold, my place of safety. And he says, verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is the only thing I seek. Lord, I'm not asking for to help me pay my bills. Lord, I'm not asking you to, for my health. Lord, I'm not asking for, for, you know, for the doctor's appointment. God, I'm not asking for all of this, you know, junk that I have surrounding me. No, God, I ask for one thing. There's only one thing that I, that I need. This one thing I ask from the Lord, this is the only thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in the temple. David knew intuitively that when trouble came in his way, when uncertainty came his way, he knew that the deeper his intimacy with God, the more secure he would feel. And so I'll close with this. Whenever you're staring at a need, whenever you're looking into the abyss and you don't know what's coming, whenever life seems so uncertain and you just don't know what you're going to do, ground yourself. Ground yourself and let God use three, these three words to help you get through it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are our light. God, thank you. We make it personal today. You are our salvation. God, you are our stronghold, God. And so when we fail you, when we doubt you, when we question what's happening, when we get bitter and angry, and when we don't know what to do, may we look to you. May we be reminded of what your promise is in Romans 8, 28, that all things work for the good of those who love you, for those who've been called according to your purpose. God, help us to know and to feel like we're your children and you're going to take care of us. If the Coast Guard goes out looking for people, God, how much more will you do for us? And so may we not take it for granted. May we seek you, Lord. And may we believe like Deuteronomy says, that if we seek you with all of our hearts, we will find you. For the Lord, your God, is a merciful God. And he is for us and not against us. And he will not abandon us. And he will not destroy his people. And he will not forget us. And so, God, may we remember to ground ourselves in the midst of the unknown, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.